0: welcome to the us sports podcast with me max whittle and today i will be remembering a footballing legend a great human being a great friend cyril regis who passed away at the age of 59 last week i'll be doing so today on the podcast with chris green who wrote his autobiography cyril was my first ever interview in this industry and that can go one of two ways because as we know Footballers are not always the easiest people to deal with. My dad knew Cyril through work and managed to set up an interview with him at the Hyatt Hotel in Birmingham. It was back in 2011. I was 19 and had just started my sports journalism degree at Southampton, Solent, and I went down to Birmingham to meet Cyril. I researched the man, and I'm glad I did because I didn't know anything about what he'd done for black football players, and you see the reaction This week, the last few days of players like Dion Dublin, like Brian Dean, Cyril just inspired so many people and he was so great in this interview. I was with him for about 40 minutes and after the interview, he sat back, crossed his legs and he just talked to me. And that's the most amazing part. I thought I was keeping this man's time and he stayed there and he gave me advice about journalism and about getting into it in any industry. He provided insight, motivation, and he said, why don't you get in touch with Chris Green who wrote my autobiography? He gave me his email address. I contacted Chris and it turns out small world, Chris Green is also from Worcester where I grew up and Chris and I became good friends. And I saw Cyril for the last time three years ago when I graduated university and it was for a video project this time. So it had come full circle. He did a radio piece with me in my first year in my last year it was a television project and cyril out of the kindness of his heart set up a box at west bromwich albion i didn't ask him to do that he did it for me and he spent another 45 minutes to an hour with me so gracious with his time and i can't believe he's gone it's hugely upsetting but this podcast aims to celebrate cyril regis chris has some amazing stories he spent hours and hours with him for the book and he was also a very good friend of cyril so he's got the best stories the best insight about a man who really had such meaning to his career i hope you learned something new today about the great man cyril regis i used your book to study for that interview and i met you shortly afterwards and and it all kind of links with cyril's kindness because he was the one who said to me after that interview look if you want to get on in this industry here's someone you can contact chris green and i did so it just speaks to his kindness you know
1: Um, do you, do you know what I? I you know, I, I did sort of say this to somebody the other day. I said, "Oh, you know, guys, we do a podcast." I said, "But you know," and, and then, I, I, then I thought, "Do you know what?" But he did that for loads of people. Do you know what I mean? And and and, and you know, so, so that, I, I'm not trying to say I'm not, I'm not trying to make you not feel special. But that was how he was. Do you know what I mean? He was always doing stuff like that for people. Always, you know. I mean, you know, I just think of some of the things he did for us. He came down, and did it. You know. You know, turned up to do a thing at oh, my son's junior football club, and you know, a lot of people, if they had done it, they'd have done it grudgingly. You know, they'd come down for half an hour or whatever. But he, he was down there for three, or four hours. Do you know what I mean? And 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 there's no money in it for it Do you know what I mean? He was, he was just not driven by that. And,
0: um, he was incredible. i met meeting him, and obviously at that point, I didn't really know about the stature of Cyril, and I'd done my research, finding out what he'd done and. What he had to deal with. I wanted to ask you, how, because you wrote his book, how did you meet Cyril first?
1: Funny enough with Cyril, I, um, how I met him was um, I, I, we decided to make a programme on Radio 4 for the, about the three degrees. Um, called Three Degrees Western. That was in 2003. And uh, actually what happened was I I, I was a bit, you know, Teresa had met him, my wife had met him by that time, yes, other people had. And I was a bit hesitant because, you know, uh, sometimes when you meet your heroes, they're not all they seem to be, you know. And everybody kept saying, well, a nice guy Cyril Regis was. But he actually really was a nice bloke, you know, and not just a nice bloke, but very clued up, um... Not just about the content of the program we were making, but but you know the style of the, the kind of questions he wanted him to answer and how he would answer them and all the rest of it. And we just kept in touch, and it just went from there. Really, I mean, he, he you know, we worked on a number of projects together. Um, you know, there was a whole youth football league that he became president of. That again, he gave his time willingly to. Um, I suppose players who were following in his footsteps really, you know, know, aspire to go from, you know. um Non-league, or you know, in his case, Sunday morning football all the way through to um, you know, to the top flight, and he, he kind of got that. So he was that was just how he was, and um, just as a man, but also um, yeah, as a, as a good friend, and that's how we became became good friends. And I realised we started to share very similar opinions about things in life together, um, and he was able to, uh, you know we just opened up to each other quite a bit and that's how everything came about and that's how the book resulted and, you know, I suppose enjoying friendship thereafter,
0: really. Just seeing the reactions on on BBC News, I think it was Brian Dean I saw, just very emotional Mm. and he said that racism today was nothing like it was then and you can just see by all the interviews people are doing, Dion Dublin, etc., that he still meant so much to them.
1: Yeah. I mean completely and and I think the the enduring legacy of the three degrees I mean you have to remember when they played okay they received a lot of racist abuse and it was vile and it was horrible um, that said it was completely levelled out by the love they got from West Bromwich Albion fans and, and, and uh, the connection between Cyril Regis and West Brom fans was closer I would say than almost any other player I can think of with any other club at any other time um, certainly, that I've experienced. But I think the thing that you know, people were they role models? Well, it, when they were playing, they didn't perceive themselves as being role models. They all they could do was all they could do, which was you know, I get in the first team because that wasn't a given for anybody at West Brom at the, in, in that team in that era because they were a good side. But then was to. You know, internalise some of that anger that was being directed in their in, in their in, in their way, and then putting it into a performance on the pitch. And to ask, that's a big ask of anybody at any time in any career in any at any stage of their life. But for young footballers in the early twenties, that was an incredible thing to do. The idea that they might have been inspiring young black players or future generations of players would have been something that was, might have been theoretical, but actually when you see and hear those voices and the way in which people express their gratitude, and yes, it's black players, but also there were white players like Andy Carroll and Alan Shearer who said much the same, but you see the emotion in people like Deon Dublin and Brian Dean and, and Ian Wright and people like that. You know, they genuinely, they really, really genuinely did inspire people to see that if they could do it, then they could also do it as well. So it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible achievement when you look at it from all those things and all those sides and more. You know, to see the outpouring of emotion this week has been, you know, just incredible. But I think that was... You could roll that across the game in lots of ways. You know, there there will be people who are administrators. There'll be people who um, just became fans. There'll be people who just connected or or, or fell in love with the game. You know, I, I, outside the Hawthorne, I met uh, you know um, a, a guy who was born in the Caribbean. He'd never been to an English football game, but he's read about them and he felt he needed to come down in the evening just to just to be there just to uh, experience some part of it. And it's a very special person who touches people like that.
0: You got to know so much about him. You spent so long with him. What did he say to you that really stood out in in terms of the the abuse that he received when he was playing?
1: Obviously... When you work with somebody over a long period of time, you hear this in different ways and, and, and different impacts. So there's almost like, if you like, an official version of how you uh, um, of the experience, and, and you know that was you know, that was quite palpable. I mean, you know or, And and I suppose in different media interviews, I heard you know Cyril say it in lots of different ways. I mean, you know, there was no you couldn't avoid. If you if you went to see the the three degrees play uh, in one of those volatile atmospheres where they played certain clubs, where there would be monkey chants, where there would be bananas being thrown on the pitch, where there would be horrible horrible racist songs sang at them, not by few people not by a handful but by not by hundreds but by thousands of people and and they were being mocked um then you know the reaction to that from from those guys was was it was incredible then to get a kind of more nuanced version from knowing cyril that you realize that actually you know part of it yeah he could cope with it you know I was a black kid growing up in London in the nineteen sixties. You think it's the first time I've heard racism? Of course not. But then, in other ways, you do realise how personal it was and and, and and how hurtful it was and and, and how it could have made them go in different ways. It's loads of things that that then you, you can learn from 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 certain and from uh, you know and, and uh, look just his whole relationship with Brendan Batson and, and Laurie Cunningham probably. I would say uniquely, three footballers who are interconnected more than any other... Loads of clubs will say, oh, yeah, we've got popular players and they all knew each other and they were mates and stuff. But what the three degrees went to was a very unique experience. So the interrelationship between the three, the closeness between the three, is something that's utterly unique and very special. You know, it's a very special thing. When when you you saw... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm struggling to get the... the the past tense out, really, Uh, you know, it's hard for me to still, uh, you know, within the first week of this to think of calling Cyril Regis somebody who's in the past tense. But the relationship between Cyril and Brendan was very close, but then hearing it from Cyril, how close he and Laurie were, which was like two peas in a pod, which was, you know, that's a quote that, that Cyril would say quite often. just utterly to a different scale, really. I mean, um, you know, they experienced exactly the same kind of thing and responded in the same way. And probably two of the most exciting British footballers of all time happened to be in the same club at the same time, going through the unique experience that the three degrees. And let's not forget, it wasn't all negative. I mean, they were also thrown into huge stardom. You know, meeting you know the the three degrees girls singers and, and and winning awards and and being fated wherever they went. I mean, this was a, a huge rush of fame. You know, on, negative on one hand, very positive on the other. They hit these two guys and then Brendan Batson very very quickly, and um, uh, their ability to cope and just hearing what that was like. Um, yeah, very, very special to um to have known somebody like Cyril Regis and, and to have heard about all that. And 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 arguably some of the things that happened consequently in his life, I suppose a lot of that is in the book but there are certain things that obviously couldn't be in the book. But what an amazing um character and somebody actually had to fight his own demons at times as well you know what I wouldn't like and I'm sure Cyril Regis wouldn't like is to be thought of as a perfect person because he, he certainly wasn't that but he learned and he developed and became a good man I mean aside from what he was like as a footballer he was a good man honest reliable um, a really good um, person to be in the company of witty intelligent um, and a good friend to anybody you really spent any time with him. It's a
0: wonderful man. I couldn't agree more. I, I, would, I was telling you about um, when he organised the box at the Hawthorns, and there's so many photos up the stairs of him back in the good old days. And we were talking to him about those photos, and he just he doesn't take himself so seriously at all. He he just took the Mickey out of his own photos, basically, and how you know whether it was how chunky and muscly his legs were. Or how silly the photo looked with what he was holding all the shirts and stuff and and that kind of shows you again how how down to earth he was how How big of a friend did he become to you then and and finding out so much about him even after the book how How good a friend was he to you i
1: mean i mean, I, I, I would not like to say i was a, a... Friend of Cyril Regis because I, I met so many other people who 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 were you know also good friends and and there would be supporters who, were, who would recount tales and when the book came out the closeness of the relationship between Cyril in fact all those players of that era but in particular Cyril and, and Brenton with the, the West Midlands press corps. Was, was really interesting because they shared a lot of experiences you know back then you know players did go and have a beer with the press you know it was a lot more open so and well i yeah, I was somebody who just got to know him that a little bit differently maybe because I came along at a certain time to you know um uh, in, uh, as a journalist and then we got involved in a few projects together and that kind of thing and um I think I was just perhaps as far as he was concerned the right person to open up to to, to write an autobiography that would be a a little bit more about than about football because you know large part of my career it's not been just you know covering football it's been a poor sport but other stuff and, I, and and we would talk about those other areas and and i think he felt comfortable opening because there was a lot of very difficult things for cyril to unpack in writing that book i mean he didn't have an easy upbringing you know when they lived in england his family really really struggled at first i mean at one point they were they were you know Sir and his brother Dave were living in a convent in, in Surrey. The uh, other members of the family were in, in two camps. His Mom was in and the younger sister, Denise, were, were, were living in the Salvation Army hostel in the East End with nowhere to go during the day. And, and it was very difficult. But to, to A, for somebody like that, to be able to open up to somebody, you know, was a very, very difficult experience for him. And I felt, you know, um, well, privileged. That 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 he could do that, but I think there was also a kind of mutual respect there in the sense that that he knew wouldn't overjudge him on anything. You know, there's a lot of people in life they only want to be with people who who are perceived to uh, you know be rich, successful, have lots of money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cyril Regis wasn't driven by any of those things. Um, it was driven by other things, and and I think we developed that close kind of relationship. I think there was also a, same, a similar sense of humour there as well. Um, I think people sometimes, because of his physique, um, often felt a bit intimidated by Cyril, not by his character, but 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 by, by his presence. Um, and I suppose because I've interviewed a lot of people down the years, I kind of was able to be a bit cheekier with him than most would be. Um, I, for 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 his sins, in um, a shocking memory, and we would get a yearbook out, you know, uh, year by year throughout his career, and try I tried to prompt him to remember games or you know, things, and he just couldn't sometimes because he just um, he just uh, uh, you know uh, struggled to remember. Yeah, you know, unless you put it in a particular context, then you could get him going. But so he, he wasn't somebody you could remember each and every game. He, 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 I think he he enjoyed the wider thing of being a footballer. Sometimes, you know, the best stories or his greatest memories were, we're on the training ground or socialising that kind of thing. He loved the camaraderie of his teammates, and and that's what I say, to say you're, you're special with, with Cyril Regis is is, is 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 to make a great. You know, assumption because, ah, oh, uh, you know, he, he was just popular with so many different teammates at all levels. And when the book came out, you know, and one of the great things of writing it was there were people we met who, would, you know, by the way, from John. In fact, the school teacher who, who taught him at school who got him go. But John Sullivan was the guy who spotted him playing on Regents Park. I mean, you literally couldn't write a book about this and, and be taken seriously. But you know, being spotted on an early. Autumn morning on, um, on Regents Park and the guy John Sullivan who spotted him who was the chairman of a very small club called Molsey in, uh, in southwest London and he said he described him saying he said there, so the, the, the player everybody saw two or three years later playing you know, in top flight football. Um, And then just those kind of relationships. So all the way through, there were people who he touched, who, you know, loved him, respected him, helped him. He would help them. And and it just rolled all the way through his career. And then in his post-playing career as well, he was a truly, truly wonderful
0: man. You talked about the living conditions there and how difficult it was growing up. And even when he was playing semi-professionally, he was was an electrician at the same time. How... Unlikely is it that he made it? How unlikely was it that he was going to be a professional footballer?
1: Well, if you think today, um, you know, football clubs look around literally looking for kids of three, four, five years of age and, in my view, should feel thoroughly ashamed of themselves for doing so. But when you look at, nobody gets missed these days. The idea that some who seemed to be quite talented, certainly physically you would have thought would have... <laughs> stuck out by a mile I mean those muscles he had by the way he never worked out particularly um you would always say we had a few battered old dumbbells at West Brom that you know were from the year dart, and nobody ever used them I mean he inherited a lot of his physique from his father who was a huge huge man um so he was kind of looking But the the, the idea that, that he got missed to me just seems you know Amazing, But in those days, it was possible because clubs weren't really looking to to sign young players until they were 14. So he slipped through the net somehow, um, which is remarkable. And to then go and have the career he did, having missed the boat, um, and to seize the opportunity is just staggering, really. You know, to get spotted playing in a mate's team, on Regent's Park on a Sunday morning and then go and play, you know, non-league football and make a big impact at that club and then move on to another non-league club, Hayes, and then make a big impact there. And then to get spotted and be uh, only a £5,000 signing, you know, for for what, you know, you can imagine a Premier League side now signing a player for £5,000, it sounds almost unbelievable. But the whole idea, when he was spotted by, you know, a former... West Brom and England centre forward called Ronnie Allen, who also went on to manage West Brom twice. Um, The idea that that he would go straight into the first team wasn't the plan at all. The idea was that he'd kick around the reserves for a year or two, they would teach him how to play football properly, um, which kind of worked in the end but in his own way he worked his own way of playing the game which was to be powerful and direct and you know just made a lot of his own chances when you look at a lot of the footage being shown the ball was banged up to him he chests it down or heads it and then goes and goes and chases after it himself so rather than being the person who flicked it onto somebody else he did all that himself because that's what he'd been used to doing when they when he learned to play properly you'd arguably say he was a less exciting player but he just uh, uh, at each stage of his career he just always came in it and, and overachieved the only level he didn't overachieve at was playing for the England national side, and that was because he had such few opportunities. Mm. And when you look back, and it's staggering to look back, particularly when you see the adulation that we've seen, you know, and just, just the great memories of Cyril Regis, he only picked up five England caps in an era when it's almost hard to pick out a half-decent centre-forward you would have described at world or international level just seems staggering. Virtually every other club he he, he he scored on his debut and all those kind of things. So he had a remarkable career and to do that against all the odds and against even his family, almost getting a foothold in English society, having had a difficult experience of coming over from from the Caribbean or actually, when you say from French Guiana, actually from, from um, South America, um, it's just, it was such against the odds. and. To have done all that and to do it in the way that he did it, along with Larry Cunningham and Brendan Batson, just an incredible it's just an incredible story. If you tried to write it for Boys Own, they would tell you to go away and grow up. I mean, it was <laughs> literally that kind of career and, and what a wonderful what a wonderful person he was in the way he did it. Yeah.
0: What did he tell you about how he actually trained and, and how Because he, he's he's such an athlete and he I mean, the one criticism was that he couldn't score tap-ins, he scored great goals, so how did he work on his game and, and how did he work on his athleticism?
1: Well, his athleticism—he—he—he he, he had his own self-defense mechanism against being asked to, to, to do any stamina work, which was he—he he claimed he couldn't do too much. Ron <laughs> Atkinson used to nickname him "59 Yards" because he would say he could, Cyril couldn't run any further than, than halfway up the pitch. And when he came to training, I mean, there was one incident where they sent him on the cross-country run, and, uh, and, he, and he actually flagged down the taxi and got the taxi to drive him to to, to drop him off near the ground, and and. and Ron merrily f Ron Atkinson. Merrily find him Oh man! You know, quite a big fine for, for 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 doing that. But I think there was a lot of levity around the training back then. You know, I think I think Ron's way was to keep it loose, to keep it fun, always with the ball, lots of fiver sides, and and I, uh, you know, that was what made. I mean, he was a very light-footed footballer for for a bloke who was who was big and muscular. You know, he, he 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 had flexibility. I mean, when you look at some of that footage, you know, he virtually turns centre halves. He's actually turned around on them and 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 they can't stop him and even Alan Hanson has been saying this week he said you know he just used to roll you and you and he said, "I'll just get goosebumps now." And just thinking about you know, what he used to do to us, you know and know what a difficult play he was to mark, but some real good inside tips from from circle because. He had the most oddly shaped feet, you know. He he really did. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you wonder really he scored any goals at all with these knobbly things he had at the end of his at end of his legs. Uh, and 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 that was a, often that was the result of wearing shoes that were too tight when he was a child. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, we we joke about things, but you know, they were a poor family and they couldn't afford to keep changing the the, the shoes. So he, quite often, he, his feet were were misshaped, so how he ever could be very accurate with his shooting, I don't know. But what he used to say to me was, he said, you know, it's almost impossible to kick a ball straight if you put it on a line. If you try to then kick a ball along a, a white line, let's say, it's almost impossible to do so. What he, would, what he said to me was, aim at the goalkeeper. Because the chances are you'll kick it one side or the other, and it will look like you meant to curl it into the net. If you aim at the keeper, that's usually what will happen, one way or the other. Because if, if you were all that good, we would be. You know, we, we, could, we could just pick the, the line every time. So you can't. But so if you aim at the goalkeeper, it'll go one way or the other. And if you're at an angle, always strike it across him so that if he gets an hand on it, it will go out to a, somebody who's coming in. Never try to go for the corner. And it's funny when. You're, yeah, you, know, you, you listen to these things, and then when I did a bit of coaching myself with children's football, I was all telling them not to do that. Don't worry about you know people saying straight passes. Don't think about that. You know, just think about passing the ball into somebody's you know direction they're running in, and you know about hitting the ball. You know, do think about hitting, hitting, getting it on target. You know, the other thing that he was very good at, and I think he would learnt this quite early on with dodgy non-league pitches, is to hit it early. If, you, if you're going for one goal, don't wait, don't hesitate. Um, hit it early because the chances are the keeper isn't ready for it then. And there's that famous goal they show um, where West Brom beat Nottingham Forest in the quarter final of the FA Cup in 1978. It was the first time Nottingham Forest had been beaten for a calendar year. And he takes the ball early. I don't know if you've seen the one. It's a lob over the top. And he hits it on the half volley. And Peter Shilton you know, as fine a keeper as they would have been in that generation, was completely caught out. And that's exactly what, you know, a perfect example of that. Strike it early. Don't have doubt in your own mind. have confidence and faith in your ability. And just, just do it. Just hit it. And there were little things like that all the way along the line that he would... It uh, was a mine of, of information. And to be honest with you, in some respect, when he stopped being a coach which was just a few years after he started playing he stopped playing um, I think the game also lost somebody who could have offered forwards a lot of really really good advice But So know, he, was, a reserve-
0: he- was West Brom Reserves why, why did he stop coaching?
1: I Well a, a different regime came in he'd, 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 um, he'd managed under a few different um, managers and when Gary Megson came in who had a slightly different philosophy to um, to the one that Cyril would have kind of liked, I think Jack Gary's a bit more direct. I think it'd be fair to say. And I think at that point, Cyril had got to the point where he he feared being seen to be um, somebody that, that that you couldn't sack. That you were just there because you know you were a popular player, and therefore you, you know you were that person that um, a decision wouldn't be made about. And he didn't want to be tokenistic. Um, he hadn't wanted to be that way as a player and he certainly didn't want to be that way as a coach and I think it was mainly for that reason Um, um, funny enough I think he went on to become an agent initially on his own and then he joined a large agency uh, called Stella and I actually think he liked being a mentor to players um, and advising them i think he actually got more from that in lots of ways than he did being a reserve team coach being a reserve team coach quite often you, you know, nobody wants to play for the reserve team you know everybody wants to be in the first team so you're the guy who's managing you're coaching the players who don't want to be coached by you because <laughs> they want to be coached they want to be in the first team squad so i think it was a little bit of that as well you know so there're a number of things but i would say that in a, in lots of ways, in the end, he found his role as a mentor, and, and I'm not going to give any games away. I'm not going to name any names, but I, certainly when I was around, you know, with him, sometimes he, he would be having a conversation with players who some needed to kick up the backside because you know they were made, Premier League player, maybe on loan uh, at a football league club and they were having a little bit of a grizzle about the quality of the players around them, and he would give them a kick up the backside by saying, no, your role is to go there to give them a lift. They don't carry you, you do that for them, because A, you're on more money than they are, but B, they also see you as a talented player who's going to be playing in the Premier League. some Some of these guys, they know that won't be happening to them, so you go there and do that. So he could give players a rocket, but equally, he could... Offer some very kind words to players who, whose career hadn't gone the way it was, you know, they they would like it to have gone or expected to go, and maybe they were playing non, you know, semi-pro non-league football, and there might be some issues in and around that of, you know, um, thinking about the future, about financial relationships and stuff like that. And he was very good with, with dealing with players like that. He was a proper proper mentor, and I think really, as as, a, as an agent, he possibly found. A really, really good role, but I, I, I still think the perfect role for him would have been um, to, have, to have worked with, with forwards at a senior level. Because um, a he, he got the respect of everybody he met, but b he knew all the old tricks. You know, he was he, he was he was a wily old character who'd come through not b He'd he worked his way up to the top. And, um, you know, I I think there was a bit more to him than just uh, being a mechanical coach, if you know what I mean. He could really, really have advised people. And I know, um, you know, Romelu Lukaku said some nice things this week about little bits and pieces he picked up from the year he was with West Brom and just, you know, picking the brains of people like Cyril Regis. So, you know, um, in lots of ways, that kind of older statesman role perhaps suited him best, arguably, after he hung up his boots.
0: And playing on those successful teams with West Brom, late 70s, early 80s, he scored 112 goals in 297 appearances. So I'm just interested to know what football meant to him because we always speak about issues outside of that and we will get to those. But what did football as a sport mean to Cyril? Um, I mean, he loved
1: the game. I mean, you know, uh, it's the thing that he would always say, and uh, particularly if he's being critical of more um, modern-day players or modern-day managers, was he would always say players like to express themselves. They like to play exciting football. They like to play free-flowing football. And, you know, I think he, he, he... He'd it, it, been lucky, it'd been in, in, when he played non-league football, he'd been played for clubs who kind of had a bit of that attitude. When he joined West Brom, they were quite well drilled, but they weren't necessarily, you know, with the exception of maybe Willie Johnson and Lottie Cunningham, they had lots of functional footballers around them. He was one of those players who really brought the crowd to life. I mean, I mean you know, the experience of Cyril Regis moment, the murmur the, the that went up when when he got the ball was something special. Uh, it truly was. Um, you know, I, I don't think we get it now, and 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 I I'm certainly don't. Very very few players who kind of got the crowd working that way. But he had a passion for the game, and I, I, I think he, he. You know, see, see, the focus there to say that on West Brom. That's but you know what he re-found it after some very lean years in his career his last couple of years at West Brom first couple of years at Coventry he re-found that when he was at Coventry City and again it came from a slightly different management style which was a little bit looser which didn't treat the players like children it wasn't top heavy it was about fun and Cyril liked a lot of fun in his training you know he wasn't somebody who I mean people saw those muscles and thought oh he must have been doing press ups and sit ups and (laughs) working on the weight I I, I tell you what if if you ask any of his managers (laughs) what did it were would (laughs) be the reply Cyril loved playing the game Mm. loved training, loved to be with the ball and that's arguably why Ron Atkinson was the perfect manager for him and always got the best of everything as he did later on in his career with Aston Villa Ron knew how to manage him in the way to motivate Cyril and he kept it a lot of fun and Cyril liked football to be fun he liked his you know you train hard but you work hard during it and you work hard on all the things that make you a better player not the things that you know just make you a um, a fit athlete, so he wasn't in for any of that sort of stuff. And certainly, as I said earlier, you don't, you wouldn't ask him to go on a long cross-country run or anything like that. But you give him the ball, play on, a, play with the ball a lot. That's what he really, really loved. And you know, I think there's a lot of truth in that. The players who feel comfortable with the ball, you know, they they always want to. And the the amazing thing that you ever hear, Cyril say, is if you thought West Brom were a good team you know, when you saw them on the pitch in the late 70s, you should have seen us in training. That's what they would always say. <laughs> that, you know, Laurie Cunningham in particular, the things Laurie did in training were absolutely out of this world. And um, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever because he was very fleet of thought. But, of course, they were, you know, Regis and Cunningham, you know, the, the names just go together. And, of course, they were they were great friends. And, uh, and the rapport that you saw on the pitch was very much the way it was off the pitch as well.
0: And you mentioned Coventry, he won the FA Cup in 1987. That was a real underdog run. W- what did he say about that? Because, it, I mean, he, he's, always got, he's always had this regret about not winning anything at West Brom, but surely the FA Cup was a highlight of his career.
1: Oh, completely. And what you have to remember is the proximity with which he, he lived to Wembley. I mean, he, you know, um, after a very, very difficult time with housing, I actually uh, the family actually settled in, a, in a, um, some u- a new council block that was built, an estate uh, called Stonebridge Park, which is about a mile down the uh, road from, from Wembley, so he used to pass it every day when he was walking, working as an electrician, huh. uh, with a donkey jacket and boots on, and dreamed of playing there, so to actually, you know, never happened for him when he played for West Brom, obviously played for England, but then to... To play the cup final for Coventry. And as I say, it's almost like. I think the great thing about the Cyril Regis story is that the peaks wouldn't seem so good if there weren't some troughs as well. And he went through a as I say, bad spell in the mid part of his career. Then um, two new managers, uh, John Silver and George Curtis, came in, who made it completely different. You know, they they loosened things up a bit, and they have, the players really liked each other. It was a great spirit, great great rapport. And that cop run, I've got to say, every every game was preceded by um a trip down to the New Forest where they would uh, train really hard but then also socialise in uh John brothers pub. Which would get locked up in the afternoon in in, in in the New Forest, and they would they they would they were very good at how can you put it socialising the Coventry city side, <laughs> and uh,
0: and that I bet spirit
1: that team spirit took them all the way to Wembley. So much so, the eve of the cup final, he told me this that the, the, you know they they get you know they they have teams get put up in the hotels That back then the FA told them they must stay in and because they're very much under scrutiny and they had these horrible uh, light blue tracksuits that you know uh, you know uh, nobody would care to be seen dead in you know what I mean and they particularly hated it you know as Footballers and stuff like that, and you know the idea that they could go walk, walking down the local high street wearing this stuff. But what they really wanted to do was have a beer in a game of cards the night before. So they all sneak out to, to, to a local off licence, sneak the beer back to, the, to one of their hotel rooms, played cards all night, and of course woke up the next day perfectly refreshed. You know, and having done the normal regime they wanted to, having tried to give the other bit of it a go, and they just played. You know, in, in, a, in a wonderful way. And, You know that was such a marvellous moment for Cyril, Um, not least because you know um, his good friend Lolly Cunningham. The year after, also then, when he won uh, an FA Cup winners' medal um, with Wimbledon. So you know, I think that was a that was a a great time for Cyril Um, and playing at Wembley. I mean, there's two things with that. that he told me one was actually when he went back to the dressing room although he was always the life and soul of the party he just sat there looking at his medal and just thinking of the struggle that that everything had been just a quiet moment and that's how I chose to start the book to be honest with you and Tony Stevens, who's now come on to become, you know, be, went, went on to become, you know, huge, huge football agent, but who Cyril knew in his time at West Brom and become uh, manager at Wembley Stadium, just came up and had a quiet word with Cyril and that kind of, you know, broken out the spell. But just that little moment of contemplation was, was, was to me, just... A, a lovely, lovely moment within all that. And then the other moment was when they were driving it uh, you know, away from the stadium. You could just see back inside, apparently, and you could see the score on the scoreboard. And they said, for then, it just seemed completely real. You know, with everything up to them, it seemed so real or unreal, whatever it might be. And I think those are little moments that you just think, yeah... I guess that's what we would pick up on. So you could always relate to them, do you know what I mean? But it was—I think it was a wonderful time, and, and we should never forget. I mean, lots of people will focus on quite rightly on the three degrees era and West Brom and all the rest of it, but let's not forget that he was a huge, huge hero in, in, in Coventry, and will be much missed there. Indeed, as he will at all the other clubs he played at, in which included Villa and Wolves. In uh, Wickham and Chester, you know, he was popular with all of those clubs, with all of those fans, and with all of the players. And he played for, him. and indeed, the you know, the chairman and 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 uh, people, who were officials at those clubs, hugely, hugely popular person.
0: Um, you you mentioned as well that the camaraderie in the dressing room and what it was like at Coventry. So he's got a lot of friends. He's a very loyal person. What could those friends expect from him? Oh, I just
1: think that, that they liked his company, just just the same as everybody else. You know, a good laugh and a joke. i mean, one of the nice things with Cyril was actually when you did see him relax. And I, I remember when we fixed up a charity match a few years ago, and it did raise a lot of money for charity. And he'd got um, a, you know some of his pals from Villa and West Brom to play against each other, and so it was like you know like West Brom all stars against Aston Villa old stars, and we had like something like five. Of um, Aston Villa's European Cup winning team from 1982, and, and various West Brom players over many decades. But in the bar afterwards, when he was socialising and, and mixing the guys, that's when he really kind of found, oh, for the first time, I really saw the old, probably what the old Civil Regis was like when he was around footballers. You know, mm-hmm. just loved talking about the game. And being one of the lads and that kind of thing, and there was a, there was a side to him that was like that. And he could be quite, a, you know, he was quite a committed Christian, and he could be quite serious about a lot of things when 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 uh, when asked or when required. You know, he was a perfect gentleman. But when he was the lads, that's when the stories would come out. And I always remember when I uh, made a documentary for Radio Four when I first met him. Um, the presenter was Garth Crooks and, you know, works for radio. You record lots more material than you actually use in the in the programme. And we just had Brendan, Brendan Batson, uh, Ron Atkinson and Cyril together with Garth Crooks, who, of course, was a player that, uh, in the end of the similar era to, mm. to to the three degrees in the late 70s. And you could have just run that as a radio programme and sang for about an hour because they just bounced off each other. Hmm. And I've got to say, you know Cyril is absolutely right in the heart of that, and the relationship the close relationship between those guys and the sense of humor you know there was there was palpable sometimes humor in football can be quite banal, it can be you know a little bit childish, but those guys they they had very quick very quick kind of way of talking to each other and 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 gene each other up and and it was it was a, it was a well I'd say it's a pleasure and an honour. I thought, like I'm actually getting paid to do this. And I, and, you know, and I would pay... <laughs> to have been in their company at that point. You know what I mean? So absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And, and as I say, he was a multifaceted character. You know, there's been a lot, there's been very reverential about him this week. You know, you know and he was a role model and he was, you know, he is somebody who made a great impression and he does leave a legacy. But as I say, he wasn't a man without a sense of humour and, and to see him with the boys and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that ever, that moment in time, those moments ever left him and indeed you know the, the great thing that, the the great thing that Cyril Regis leaves me with and has always left me with is you know something he would he would say when he was being a bit more contemplative and he would say you know all you can leave are great memories you know that game that goal and and you know over don't years, come to think that is such a great way of, of looking at life you know all you can leave are memories for people and um, I, I think the the, the lasting legacy of Cyril Regis is he left it all there on the pitch. We did, We weren't left wondering what what might have been with Cyril. He, he gave it everything for his, uh, over his playing career. You know, he played till he was thirty nine, and we saw the you know we saw the best of him, and we saw towards the end of his career that he could support other players as well. So I think it's a very, very, a very, very rounded individual. You
0: know? What does he mean for black footballers?
1: Everything. I, I, I think it, it, there, there's no doubt. I mean, very few people can you say were important in their football career. You know, we talk about games or we talk about players and we say you know, there were favourites or they, There was a great game, you know, we saw like, you know, Liverpool beat Man City 4 3, and what a great game it was. But it doesn't change the world. You know, it gives people a lift and it, the results mean stuff in terms of tables. But Cyril Regis' career actually mattered. You know, what he achieved actually mattered. You know, in terms of an inspirational figure, it was palpable. You know, those subsequent generations of black Britons who were given their... I suppose just given the incentive, given the the spur to go on and be not just good footballers, but I think this was a um, cross-cultural, cross-entertainment thing. You know, it wasn't just about that. It would have been about music. It would have been about, you know, becoming an actor. I mean, you've got to remember the the actors who who, who describe Cyril Regis as their all-time hero, you know. How does that happen, you know? It's because somehow the way in which you carry yourself, the way in which you play the sport um is utterly unique. And and in terms of black achievements, you know, when when Kick It Out was twenty years old, um, a few years ago, Martin Luther King's oldest son, Martin Luther King Junior, um, made a speech in praise of the three degrees. Huh. Now, this is Martin Luther King and he'd heard of the achievement and the breakthrough that the Three Degrees have made and you have to say, by dint if you say that's the Three Degrees then you have to say probably the best known of the Three Degrees was Cyril Regis so the, the achievement the legacy is huge
0: and one of the ways people can um, remember him and honour him is there's a statue now as well of the Three Degrees right?
1: Absolutely um, fortunately I've been involved in the statue um, building project. Um, it's a wonderful statue built by um, one of the best sculptors in the country. It's a celebration of all three players not rather than, than, than one. Um, the funding of it, has, it's a public art project so um, any fans uh, who have attended uh, an event or have bought, you know, an item of memorabilia, they've got something back for their money, but they've contributed to something that they can look at. And even more importantly, maybe their their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children can look and say, we funded that. And it's a bit short of money at the moment to, you know, um, still need some funds. Um, it'd be nice if... Um, People or clubs in the football industry would help help it be completed. But I think that needs to be a priority now. I think one of the biggest regrets uh, that I think we've seen over the last week is it's just that thought that Cyril Regis wouldn't have seen or won't have seen the, the the statue complete and erected. And to me, the only place it should rightfully be is at the Hawthorns. Um, it looks like there's the a good chance it will be in West Bromwich Town Centre. Um and I think that the people of West Bromwich Albion, you should hang their heads in shame for not making that ha- that happen, or if it doesn't happen, from preventing it from happening. But L- that to me would be the rightful place.
0: Last couple of questions, Chris. Are, are there any details about how people can help out the family, or are there any charities? Obviously, Cyril worked with a lot of charities. Is he? Is he, is that going to be left open as well?
1: I, I'm sure we'll we'll get some sort of just just that is a been a well asked question, Max, over the last week or so. Um, and I'm sure we'll we'll get some proper confirmation about that. I'd imagine WaterAid would be the main one which was which obviously is a charity that helps provide, you know, clean water in in, in, in poor areas of the world like Africa. Um but in, in in terms of you know defined chances then i think we we'll, we will we there'll be a statement from the family um and soon i would i would imagine or would would hope obviously that it's it's a very difficult situation at the moment because you know nobody expected this to happen There there's no warning of Cyril you know um, shuffling off this mortal coil so um so it's, it's still very early days but i'm sure the fans will be encouraged to to donate to the charities that, that, that Cyril contributed to, um, as I say, the main one was Water Aid, but there there were other things, other, other things that Cyril was involved in and, uh, and supported. So um, so I, I think it's best to to, to leave to the family to, uh, to 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 make an announcement about where those uh, where those things will be. Obviously, the statue is, is, is something slightly different to that as well, but um, but I'm sure fans will want to want to make some sort of donation. And, and 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 make their own tribute to Cyril. And I know there's a book of remembrance that's going to be opened at the Hawthorns. Um, the ground's already being turned into a, a into a temporary shrine as well, with the astral gates being covered with scarves and uh, and shirts and flowers and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, already a special memory. But
0: uh, but yeah, I'm sure a one will be made about that. And finally, you said that Cyril said to you, you know, or you can leave a memory. So. You can take as long as you want with this one how How will you remember Sir Regis?
1: Oh my gosh, um, just as a teenager me, myself well I suppose we were both teenagers, but myself being a teenager still on the brummy road, um seeing just the most exciting football that you could ever wish for I you know I, you know i a bit crusty now, and I, I kind of, when I think back, was there ever a time that I would ever want to be, if I could get time back, it would still be to be a teenager at the back of the Brummy Road in the late 70s, you know, which the late 70s is a period that gets painted quite badly with a winter of discontent and strikes and various other things. But money didn't matter much to me then, If truth be told because we had exciting football to go and watch and we had the most exciting centre-forward in the country at the team that I supported. And just, there's so many games where they played uh, immense football, but I suppose the one that would stick out is the one that has become almost like emblematic of the three degrees. And that is the famous 5-3 game in Old Trafford on the 30th of December, 1978. I was amongst the uh, West Brom fans there. And to see your team take... Um, you know the legendary Manchester United apart, um, and let's make no mistake: it was five three. It could have been ten three. Gary Bailey, the Man United goalkeeper, played out of his skin that day, and was still beat five times. And it was the epitome of the three degrees. A lot. I mean, it was very heavy pitch, hammering down with rain, but they played the most sublime football and it was players who were interconnected who read each other who played off each other and although they conceded three goals there was not a hint that they that they were put off by that at all. they just played beautiful football but then there was a golden run around that time where they did that to, to team after team and I will always if I think of Cyril Regis it will always be in those broad um, blue and white shirts, or yellow and green shirts that they wore so stylishly. I mean, they weren't stylish shirts, but somehow Laurie Cunningham and Cyril Regis made them look stylish. <laughs> and it would just be that player in, in in that era. But also, I will say this: I, you know, I'm cheering on other teams or whatever. I can always remember feeling so so pleased for him. When Coventry won the cup in 1987, and when the game was going was in extra time, and Cyril quite heavy legged, you know, went, as his career went on, and you could see he was uh, struggling a bit, but just willing them to hang on, you know. And it takes somebody special to make you want another team to win, you know, or to be, almost become a fan of theirs for that time. And Cyril just gave those moments over and over again. And he was just a very, very special footballer. I suppose that there's one off-the-pitch thing I, I'll remember. It was when we were doing the publicity. It was a very a silly moment in some respects. But we'd we just done some video recording, and we we got him back in my car, and Cyril just said to him, Chris, I never had any bad games, did I? <laughs> I said, of course you didn't, Cyril, of course you didn't. It was just one of those moments where we just, like, chuckled. And it was just... Because the the thing here is people will keep telling you you were brilliant and, and you were wonderful, and you kept doing <laughs> things right all the time, and nobody's perfect, least of all me or are you know, and that's why really that was the, the the kind of that was a lovely moment because you just thought no, of course you have bad games you used to you, you used to break my heart and as you used to sit those great moments, but you forget those you you remember the great moments moments and i think that's what you'll just be remembered for you know it's delivering great moments for people inspiring kids to want to play football play sport do whatever and to be that person that everybody when they met him felt that they knew him and he made them feel special and those people are very special in life you know they are few and far between you know sometimes you can meet people who are very good at being false Cyril Regis was rarely false. He, if he could help people out, he did. And he just did that loads and loads and loads of times. And I've got a special photograph of him with my son when he came down to um, just, just spend a bit of time with their junior football team. He was, he was with at the time. And it's just one of those lovely photographs that, you know, you, you just cherish. And that was Cyril. It, that was just it. There really was only one Cyril Regis.
0: Thank you to my guest today, Chris Green, some incredible stories on Cyril Regis, a man who will be fondly remembered and hugely missed. You can find the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle on the Apple Podcast app and also blogtalkradio.com. Head to iTunes, leave a review, and also you can subscribe and rate the podcast there. Talk to you soon.